from the last 10 to 15 years, that was not the start of the Mission Impossible story. You know, it goes back about, about 50 plus years. I used to watch some of those reruns in the 70s and enjoy watching the good guys and the bad guys and the predicaments they would get themselves into and trying to figure out who, who was the good guys and the bad guys because they all had disguises and, and for you know, much of the episode, you weren't sure if that was actually the guy or not. Um, but maybe you guys enjoyed some of those too. Who has been on an actual mission of some kind? Raise your hand. Online people, we see you. Raise your hand too. And anybody been on a military mission here in the room? We had some from first service. Um, has anybody been on a, a, a church mission, some kind of a ministry trip of sorts? Yeah, a few of us have. And how, how about maybe a, a humanitarian mission? Anybody been on one of those? And Trina's got her hand up. Yeah, there's lots of different kinds of mission. A number of years ago, after Hurricane Katrina hit in, I think, 2005, uh, my mom and my stepdad, they plugged in with a nonprofit that sent a team down to New Orleans area, and they actually um, outfitted temporary uh, mobile units for people to live in that had been displaced. You know, their homes had been destroyed and uh, ruined. And so they went down and, and would actually set up foodstuffs in the kitchens and uh, assemble kind of temporary beds and, and some dressers and things like that to have some kind of a, a home and a shelter for these people for what, what had, they had planned that it might be weeks and months. It actually turned into years that they were using those, those temp mobile units uh, down in New Orleans as that whole community had to recover from all the devastation of uh, Hurricane Katrina. But um, I've been on some short-term mission trips myself. I've been to Haiti a couple of times with our old Foursquare Church uh, down out of uh, Port-au-Prince. And on one of those trips, we went and did mostly building projects at an orphanage. So we were making desks and, and, and making some beds and painting and doing things. And what was cute was um, the kids there, they were mostly grade school age kids. One of their hopes for our trip was that we might build them a basketball hoop. Um, they didn't have one in the, in the playground area. And so our team was able to do that and kind of get that finished. And the last couple of days, we got to play some basketball uh, with the kids. So that was a, a really neat thing to hopefully leave them with. I hope, I hope it's still standing, you know, 27 years later. <laughs> um, I also got to go on a trip with um, another team over to uh, East Africa, over to Kenya. Uh, my wife and I and a bunch of people from my old church, we were sponsoring uh, high school kids. For, for about $30 a month, you could uh, provide a uniform and all the books and, uh, and meals for kids to go and, and finish high school. And as you might imagine in a, a third world country, yeah, high school education is, is gold, you know, to have that and to possibly be able to go and, and find a, a, a career, you know, work to take care of yourself, maybe sustain your family was so important because many of these high schoolers, they were the provider, you know, maybe for a parent and grandparents and siblings and cousins and people too. So there are lots of different kinds of, of mission um, possibilities that are out there. Village Church, they have a, uh, a faraway missionary. They've got a young man, Nate Anderson, who uh, went to Oregon State, got an ag agricultural sciences degree, I think about three years ago, and he went in, and has served in uh, Zambia, I think he's in Zambia right now, and um, Mongolia. And what he does, as someone who knows about farming and agriculture, 
he helps local people plant crops that work well in those climates and in those areas and, and helps teach them how to fertilize and, and bring these crops um, to harvest uh, to help uh, feed them and their, their families in those communities. So what an awesome way. And, and Village Church, our, our Dallas Church daughter church down in, uh, in Corvallis area, they uh, sponsor Nate. They support him with, with prayer, with uh, a lot of uh, Zoom time and, and video chats and stuff to help encourage him. And financially, they, they give toward his, uh, his ministry work uh, far away. So that's so, that's so important. Um, and at Dallas Church, we're, we're praying on some of those kind of possibilities for us too. What would partnering with someone that's going to a foreign place uh, to do mission, how might we help them and get behind them and support them too? But, you know, for you and I, we talk about mission and we might immediately think, oh, that means I've got to go somewhere far away. You know, I've got to go get on a plane. So let me, let me ask the Hadleys, uh, Tony, Trina, if God this week in your prayer time said, all right, Trina and Tony, you know, I, by the way, I like your garden and your yard looks really nice, but guess what? I, I need you to go to Puerto Rico and build wells for people so they can have a water source and teach them about Jesus. What would you guys say to that, that mission assignment? Next week. <laughs> you ready to go? I love it. I love it. And, and you know what? That could happen. And, and if it does happen, if God brings that, that mission, that assignment to your life, where you got to go somewhere and go help somebody in a faraway place, I hope you'll go. I really do. For many of us, that, that may not happen, or, or that might not be our gifting or kind of where our life's at, but God could call us to local mission, you know, right here in, in the Dallas community or in the community that you live in. Um, more often than not, that's how it works. You know, Mission Impossible, uh, I love that music. It always kind of brings me back to my, my childhood. That story is, is full of, of impossibilities. You know, these crazy scenarios that the, the characters get themselves in. And then you kind of wonder how are they going to make their way out of it and survive, right? And the thing about that is all of those things are so far-fetched. Well, you and I, we don't serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God who deals impossibilities. And in, in Matthew uh, chapter 19, I think we have a slide coming up. Um, Jesus' words remind us of this. He says, um, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible, right? So let's, let's pray and get into this message today. Lord, thank you so much for being a God of possibilities. Thank you, God, that we can be on mission for you, whether we go somewhere far away or we stay right here and learn to see what Jesus sees. Help us, God, uh, to look to you for our mission assignment. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm Jeff Geiger. I am Tina's husband. I'm Nate and Maddie's dad. I'm Susie's son. Um, I'm an elder here at Dallas Church. My family has been at Dallas Church uh, next month for 13 years. Um, the church started in 2007, and we came about a year in. So we've been here a long time and been able to, to uh, see God do a lot of cool mission work in the church and, and through the community. And uh, I want to talk about some of that today. When we, when we look at Bible uh, heroes who were big missionaries, of course, we, we start to think about Paul and those early disciples, right? And did you know the, the first mission assignment that Paul and Luke and Timothy and Silas had 
was actually not to go to the, the place that they, they ended up going to. They thought they were going to a place called Bithynia. But God and the Holy Spirit intervened, and their assignment was changed. If you've got a Bible or a device, would you uh, open up to uh, New Testament, uh, Acts chapter 16. We're going to read through a couple different parts of this. But we'll start in uh, Acts 16, starting in verse 7. And these are, this is Luke, his account of this missionary journey that Luke and Paul and Timothy and Silas were called to. This mission assignment that they got. So they thought they were going one place, but uh, let's read about what, uh, what God did. It says, And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul has this vision, and this man of Macedonia says, Please come help us. Don't go to Bithynia. We need you here. We'll keep reading in verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the, the, good, preach the gospel to them. So I love, I love the response of those early church planters, Paul and Luke and these guys. When, when God uh, had an assignment for them, when, he, when, when this vision came and that was changed, what did they do? Did they question God or say, well, you know, we're going to have to think about this for a while? No, they, they immediately responded with obedience. And they said, well, it sounds like we're going to go to this other place, Philippi, and, and go uh, talk about Jesus to people. So what they did, they got on a ship, they sailed to uh, a city called Neapolis, and then they followed a long road, uh, the Via Ignatia, into Philippi. What's crazy is this mission trip into Philippi, it was short. They weren't there for weeks on end or months or years. They were probably, they think, only there for a few days. And even before they reached the, the city limits to come in, they encountered some women who were really curious to, to see what, what they were about and what was going on. This woman named Lydia and, and, and some of her friends were actually right outside the city. And so Paul and Luke and the other disciples are coming to, you know, to do this mission work. And here's Lydia and this group of ladies. Let's keep reading uh, in Acts 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So they thought there would be a good place to, to pray there, maybe a quieter place. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after, he, after she was baptized and her whole household as well, and she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So this woman, Lydia, isn't it kind of interesting the way she's described? She was um, from Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods, and she was a worshiper of God. But it doesn't say which God. It, it, Jesus may have been among the gods that she worshipped. And in fact, maybe she had started to hear, she and some of her friends had started to hear stories of this Jesus of Nazareth, you know, because the word had traveled ahead of Paul and, and Luke and the, and the disciples showing up. So maybe there was some curiosity that was there. But isn't it awesome? It says the Lord opened her heart 
to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And then what did she do? Did she go back and think about it for a while or consider if this was legit? No. She said, that's the one true God. And she put her faith in him. And not only that, became baptized. And you can imagine these women, these friends that were with her, and maybe their husbands and families and other people within that little community, they responded too. They jumped in. And not only that, did they get baptized and put their faith in Jesus. They said, Paul, Luke, disciples, you need somewhere to, to stay while you're here on this little trip of yours. Stay at our house. And you can imagine, you know, maybe there was food and there was fellowship and there was teaching and, and people were drawn into that. They, they basically started their own little home church, uh, their own life group right there, in, right outside of, of Philippi on this first missionary journey. Luke's account of this is so fascinating to me because a lot happened in these few days uh, beyond the, the Lydia and, and the women and converting them and, and them kind of getting this little church going. Um, at one point, the, the disciples also run into a, a slave girl who is described as a fortune teller, a medium. It sounds like she was very annoying in different ways, and they, maybe they kind of questioned you know, whether they wanted to continue talking to her, but, but they did. And depending on the commentary and the account of this portion of Acts, some say that she was also converted and put her faith in Jesus. Others say they're not sure. They don't know the outcome of what happened with this slave girl. Uh, and, and, you know, and maybe their, their assignment with her was to start to tell that story of Jesus, you know, to plant a little seed, and, and, and God was going to do the rest later. We don't know. At another point, um, the disciples are in jail. <laughs> and, and then at, there's a big storm. The, the, the jail doors are open. The, the chains and the shackles on all the prisoners are, are, are loosened. And um, if you know the story, the, the jailer, he comes on the scene and realizes, oh my gosh, the, the jail's wide open. And my prisoners, you know, are, are, are going to be free. They're going to escape. And he uh, realizes, basically, my boss is going to kill me. So he draws his own sword to go and end his own life because he realizes the consequences of what's going on here. Paul sees him and says, wait, wait, wait. We're all here. We're, we're not leaving. You have not failed. You know, stop. And this jailer is so moved by Paul's you know, compassion and concern for him. And of course, you can imagine then they start talking about Jesus and, and, and the hope they have in, in Christ. This jailer is converted and his family and they get baptized, and they jump in with this, this early movement of Jesus. So it's so awesome to think about this maybe five-day brief missionary journey, the first one that the disciples were called to, and all that God did during that time to reach these women, uh, to save the jailer, to talk to the, the, the slave girl, and maybe countless others. And, and who knows what, what God did with that, you know, the ripple effect of those stories. And you know what's interesting for me too is I, I love this model, this picture of Lydia and, and, and these women in the home church and the way that they started to build these spiritual rhythms into their life. You know, we've been in this series now. This is, we're wrapping it up today uh, with this message about mission. And we've talked about uh, the importance of reading scripture and, and, and studying God's word, savoring God's word. And you can just picture you know, Lydia and these women meeting with the disciples, maybe having a meal together and hearing, you know, Paul and Luke speak about who Jesus was and what happened at the cross 
and, and instructing them in this story of, of faith and what that meant uh, to put your, put your hope and trust in Christ. And then it, while they were together in fellowship, I'm sure there was prayer. I'm sure they were starting to learn the idea that you know, we need to worship God through our prayer to him, to hear from him, and we need to lift each other up in prayer. Because I think as Pastor Ben mentioned last week, some things only happen when we pray and, and God can move. We, we invite God to come into our circumstances. And so I, I believe that Lydia and those, those early um, pioneers of faith, these ladies, they were starting to learn that too and to go to God in prayer. And then the idea of Sabbath, it even says that um, on the Sabbath was the day they met Lydia and, and these, these ladies, right? Uh, Pastor Andrew talked uh, just a couple weeks ago about the idea of Sabbath rest, that we set aside a day uh, where we don't work, where we focus on, on being holy with God, letting him uh, speak into our life, you know, having time to reflect and recharge and be ready for the week to come and, and, and the work that we're called to as well. And you can almost picture um, that, that this all started on the Sabbath with, with Lydia and these ladies, and that that became a normal part of the rhythm of their spiritual walk. And then um, Pastor Ben uh, probably took on the most difficult uh, subject of our five with confession last week. You can almost see these people in this, in this home gathered and, and starting to learn to confess their sin, to confess the way they've, they've been hurtful to each other or let each other down, and to ask for forgiveness, and to see how God restores them and kind of builds them back up as we learn what confession and being, being real with God looks like. And so it's just a beautiful picture to me to see how, how God could, could use this first missionary journey to start to establish spiritual rhythms with his people. And again, as we talk about with man, this is impossible because we only have so much patience and so much time and so much devotion and, and willingness to study and all these things. But with God, all things are possible. The other thing is I was studying for this that really struck me, um, this idea of mission. And again, um, sometimes we're going to get called to go far away. More often, we're going we're to be asked to do local mission, to help somebody right here you know, where we live, maybe, maybe on the street we live in or across town, right? We, uh, last year, our, our team went through this uh, Art of Neighboring book by uh, Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. And I think it really captures uh, what the essence of local mission could look like let me read you a couple pieces. This is about, about local mission. Start by looking around your neighborhood. What problems do you see? The yard across the street is full of weeds. You know the husband just got laid off from work. Should you call code enforcement? Maybe the local government will be the one to help. Next door, there are teenagers and the smell of pot seeps out the windows every night. You wonder if you should call the police. That will take care of the problem, won't it? There's a family a couple of doors down with several children. It's clear that many of them don't speak English, and you wonder if the kids are even in school. Should you contact someone at the school district? Surely they are equipped to handle this kind of a problem, aren't they? These problems are not hypothetical. They likely exist just outside your front door. We can always hope that somebody else will handle them. But what if we could be a part of the solution? 
And what if the solution is more attainable than we think? What if it all starts with getting to know the invisible neighbors that surround us? Is anybody feeling convicted? Do we need to have a, a little time of confession? Have we uh, not been the best neighbors, maybe, to some people around us? You know, the authors talk about this idea that to, to actually love our neighbor, we, we need to spend time with them. We need to learn their name. We need to find out, you know, about their kids and their job and their stresses and what's going on with them. This book's done such a great job of that. There's also a really important piece I want to read you, too, this idea that, you know, in order to spend time with our neighbors and, and maybe help them somehow, you know, we, we've got to free up some time in, in our busy schedule. You know, gosh, if we're just, you know, driving the car and going to and from work and mowing the lawn and, you know, my lawnmower's running so I don't talk to my neighbor and, you know, he's busy doing his thing, when does that interaction ever happen, right? So these guys have a great point. They talk about that we've got to be interruptible. We've got to create a little space so we can spend some time with neighbors, right? It says the idea of being interruptible is being willing to be inconvenienced. It means developing a mindset that accepts the interruptions of others. This might not feel natural at first, but it's part of living at a healthy pace. Amen. So maybe that's part of our challenge this week, you and I, is as we see our neighbors and come and go and we're doing our thing, is to be willing to create a little space to spend some time with somebody, to hear about what's going on with them. You know, so many people right now during COVID are, are anxious and depressed. Uh, I read a study the other day that with people that have full-time work right now, over 40% are, are actively thinking about quitting their jobs right now. It, it, and a lot of them are quitting their jobs. <laughs> it, it's, it is a really rough time uh, where, where people's patience and skills and abilities are being stretched in, in so many different ways. So I'm guessing your neighbors are part of that 40% too. You know, the, the attitude, the kind of, of local mission work that God might call us to, it, it starts right here in our community. And I think Paul does a great job uh, when he talks about it. He writes a letter back to that first church of, of Philippi. Uh, this is in the New, New Testament too. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 3, Paul reminds us saying, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let me read that one more time. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Now again, God might not call you like he's about to call the Hadleys uh, to go build a well. And, and get on a plane and, and tell kids about Jesus in a faraway place. But he might. And again, if he does, I really hope you'll go. If you haven't gotten the chance to spend time in a third world country, uh, like Haiti or East Africa or Puerto Rico or something, it's amazing. Uh, the, the people, so many of them have such gratitude for what they do have, which is so little compared to you and I. You know, and many of them, like when I was in Haiti, you'd see the, the workers at the orphanage. They lived in these little tiny thatch huts made out of straw and mud and stuff and, you know, sticks. And I'm trying to picture, you've probably seen in, in the news, Haiti gets hit with hurricanes often. I think they've had two this year already, maybe three. 
and you could see the devastation from the news and video footage. And I'm trying to imagine what those, those huts look like, you know, and, and how many times they've had to rebuild those the last, what, 25 years or so. You know, and that, that's, that's life. But, and again, I think Pastor Ben talks about it. You know, if we've got, gosh, a roof over our head, food in the fridge, heat and, and clothes to keep us, you know, safe and warm, we've got more than like 95% of the world. We are so blessed, you guys, to be born and, and to be able to live in the country we live in. Um, so when you get to go spend time in a faraway place like that, even for a few days, like Paul and the disciples did, or, or, or 10 days or a couple weeks, whatever it might be, God's going to change your heart and mind. You're going to come back with a different, different view of this world. But if that's, if that's you, great. And I, again, I hope you say, I'll go. I hope you'll get on that plane with the Hadleys and go, go help them. But for the rest of us, we're going to be called to something right here. It could be with your actual neighbors on your street. It could be with somebody across town. It might be somebody you work with. What could your next mission look like should you choose to accept it? Could it mean that for you right now, God wants you to be the best step-parent that you could be in a kid's life or a kid's lives? Think about that. I, I'm so blessed. My, my mom found a great man about 20 years ago, uh, Doug Williams, um, as an adult, he's been my stepdad, but I couldn't ask for a more loving and supportive man to take care of my mom and, and to be a support for Tina and I and our kids. He's a great, great grandpa and everything, too. Um, I think sometimes maybe, maybe step-parents, step-grandparents, you don't even realize the impact that you have on, on a kid or in kids' lives. And maybe that's your mission. Maybe God's saying, hey, I need you to be an awesome step-parent, step-grandparent right now. Could it mean, could your short-term mission be to uh, host a foreign exchange student or be a foster parent? Could it be that maybe for a school year, your family could open up your home and have an exchange student come live with you? We've had some families in our church do that, and I know it makes an eternal impact. And, And guess what? You know what it does? you instantly have a great friend and a family somewhere on the other side of the world that you now need to go see and spend time with. And they want to come back and see you too. Or foster parenting. What if for a couple of months um, you could bring a kid into your family, into a safe place, and love on them and help them get through a real, a real difficult time? What could that look like? Now, not everyone is ready for that assignment. I get it. For you, it could be your short-term mission is God saying, hey, I've got somebody in your life right now, somebody you work with, one of your neighbors, a family friend, maybe someone younger that needs a mentor and, and that God might use you and your experiences, your circumstances, your story of faith in Jesus and, and maybe trust in him even, even in your career, you know, to um, spend some time with someone and help encourage them, maybe even literally help them on their resume Uh, get them ready for a job interview or a Zoom call or something that they they have coming up and help steer them um, and guide them toward uh, a good career. Again, if 40% of people are thinking about quitting their job, there's going to be a lot of job openings, right? The other thing is, too, if, if some of those things don't quite fit where your life's at, there's always a chance to sponsor kids in faraway places. Uh, Tina and I have for, for years with uh, a CMF, Christian Missionary Fellowship, 
Uh, Compassion does a great job. There are a lot of great nonprofit organizations that help kids get through school, that provide meals and, and books and, and good education for them. And so uh, maybe you've got a little, res little extra money and you could give 30 or 40 bucks a month towards something like that. That could be huge and impactful. Uh, and God could use that in a big way. Also, we're in our, our life group uh, season. We have a lot of small groups that, that meet. Some meet here, some meet in people's homes. And um, some have been going for years and some are new. And we can always use more. Maybe your short-term mission could be to host a group or help lead a group. Um, if that's the case and you're wondering, gosh, what would we teach about? What, what subjects should we go through? Our church has got a good little library. You could talk to Pastor Andrew. You could talk to uh, Stephanie Greer, our ministry coordinator. We've got uh, books and videos. Um, some are back on our back wall toward the restrooms. And we've got more, I think, um, in other places too. These are great topical um, uh, subjects that you and your group could go through. Some are about finances. Some are about marriage and parenting. Some are just about, gosh, I've really just recently become a follower of Jesus. You know, how can I take steps of faith? How can I come become more mature? And, you know, and the cool thing, I've, I've led some of these, especially with the videos. Um, it's nice because you've got maybe a 20 or 30 minute video you can watch together as a group. They build the questions for you to go through and discuss and then you can naturally lead into a time of prayer. So you're gonna be practicing those spiritual rhythms together, right, in, in a small group, just like Lydia and these ladies were doing in the, in the early church. So maybe that's you. Maybe God's saying, hey, be a local missionary in your home even. You know? and, and so again, talk to our, our church staff on that, if that's something that you might be up for. That could be really powerful. Hey, one other quick side note, um, just on, on kind of community and stuff. So the Dallas Glow Run, is coming up in two weeks. Has anybody ever run or walked in the Dallas Glow Run? A few, a few of us have. All right, maybe you've heard about it. So it's been going for a few years now. I've been on the committee that helps organize it and kind of put on the event. Um, this year, I'm, I'm gonna run it for the first time. So if you wanna run with me, that'd be awesome. Um, you can also walk it. It's a, a 5K. Uh, you start over at the Academy Building and go through Dallas City Park and kind of come back around. It's at nighttime. You can wear um, costumes, and they give you like glow lamps and glow-in-the-dark shirt. Uh, you get a swag bag with all these coupons and stuff that are really cool. And there's a kids' run. There's a kids' dash, and it's you know kind of built more for younger kids. And I think I think literally the kids, all they do is run around the academy building once, you know, and they're so worn out because they go all out. And then it's great. The, the, the parents are happy because the kids sleep good that night. But um, you can still sign up for that. Um, you can talk to me if you want to know some more info, but it's really cool. It's open if you want to run it, you want to walk the whole thing, uh, whatever you might want to do. And the great thing is the monies that are gathered. Uh, Christmas Cheer, a great local nonprofit, they take those monies and build uh, holiday food baskets for uh, families in need just right around here in Dallas. And, and the Glow Run fills a lot of those baskets. So it's really an awesome thing. Um, so as we wrap up here, again, we can be people that are on mission with God in a lot of different ways. So what do we do? Well, let's go back to what, what Bob Sloan uh, led us through about four weeks ago in the Spiritual Rhythm series. Pray, pray, pray. Pray, Lord, what's my mission? Do you want me to go get on an airplane with the Hadleys? Or am I going to do something here more locally? And, and what does that look like? So, so go to God and pray. And then you know what? When you pray, give God a chance to answer. Listen in. Because when you pray... He's going to move. Secondly, 
is, is the, the art of neighboring really reminds us, if we're really going to love our neighbor, we've got to see them. We've got to hear them and understand what's going on in their life and in their circumstances to be able to help them at all. So pray and then say, Jesus, give me your eyes and ears to, to, to see the people around me and what they're going through and who I might need to help, right? Because we can be people that are, that are mission possible people that follow Jesus. We can do this together. Because one more time, as, uh, as Matthew chapter 19 reminds us, with man, all these things, they are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us so much that we're always on mission and part of your mission, Lord. Help us to see uh, where you might use our gifts, use our experiences, uh, plug us in to help someone else. Help us to be people of mission for you, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.